Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Oh, yeah. Zach, are we recording now? Yeah, I just recording. Okay. I just put it up, so we're good to go. Yeah, so Brian and I and uh, a bunch of other, we had about, what, 50 people show up to that little meeting last night where we all hung out and ate a bunch of free free burgers and shot the, shot the, shot the breeze, I guess. And, uh, it was a good time. Yeah, man. Yeah, Chris Bell and I guess William Schofield put that on, and you were part of it. Yeah, yeah, we done that. That's the second one we did. We did a similar one uh, in Newport Beach not long ago. So we're gonna we're gonna try to do that, you know, pretty regularly. You know, at least once every other month, or maybe once a month if 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 we can kind of get everybody organized. But it was, you know, like I said, we put it out there, and we had fifty people sign up within two days, and more people wanted to. And we're like, we we you know, we had to cut it off at fifty because uh, you know we were getting all that food. All the food was free, provided for. Yeah. So. Thing. So there, there's a hop daddy right by my house. I'll have to do a Phoenix chapter of that when you guys get big enough. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'd, I'd ask hop daddy if they want to start sponsoring our, our pro, our show. They may be. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to my man, Matt, Matt Spicer about that. See if he'd be into it. But uh, anyway, Brian, it's a pleasure having you on for you guys who don't know. Brian is a, uh, I guess your background was engineering. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, mechanical and, engineering. I'm in the club like <clears throat> Ivor Cummins and Dave Feldman and yeah, and guys that all have their, their 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 brains wired to think a certain way. And it's a guy, you're 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 a mechanical engineer, come a recent filmmaker, and uh, you're producing a movie called Food Lies, which uh, you know I guess you've been doing that for a little over a year now, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, well, I grabbed you. You're actually the first interview. That was a yeah, year yeah. ago. It's yeah, November I remember, yeah. 11th, somewhere, you came in for Rogan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about, a little bit about yourself, Brian, just so you put know real quick. And then uh, I know you got that Peak Human podcast, which is excellent for other people that want another podcast to listen to. Uh, but tell us a little bit what's going on with you, and let's get into maybe some of this film stuff and some of the other stuff. You know, one of the things that I have found, and you may have seen the same thing as you start down this rabbit hole of looking at nutrition and you, you think you, you think there's, there's, just, there's a few things you like to pursue, then you uncover all this other stuff and it, it almost pisses you off. And, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, this is this, my eyes have been opened. And uh, I don't know if you had the same experience I have, and I know a lot of other people have. So anyway, let's, let's get a little your background and, and then we'll go from there. Sure thing. Yeah, definitely. There's a, was a process and, I, uh, yeah, I started with film, like growing up. So I was always with film, but, uh, you know, did mechanical engineering and then I got into tech and then back into film. So it was kind of a full circle thing, but uh, yeah, I think it really did help me get that doing the engineering and doing all this other stuff prepared me to, to, you know, know the scientific method and critical thinking and how to, you know, look at all sides of this. So that was huge for me. And, uh, you know, my story with the film is my, my parents had health problems. So we, we were eating the right things we thought, you know, we weren't eating fast food. 
we were just eating sort of the food pyramid type of thing, low fat products, and it just caught up with them eventually. And, you know, uh, you do fine, you know, when you're younger, a lot of people come at me like, Hey, I eat grains and whatever all the time and I'm fine. Like, okay, well tell you know, check in when you're 50. So that's kind of what happened to them. And uh, I think that their diet contributed to their disease, which not a lot of people know about in the general public that cancer and Alzheimer's have a big metabolic component. I mean, people listening and you guys know that there's tons of research around this, but a lot of people say, oh, that's just Alzheimer's, that's just, you know, genetic, or that's just uh, from, you know, we don't know anything about cancer. So I, I really think it has that dietary component. So that got me started on my health journey. And yeah, over the past four years, I've been changing the way I eat and learned a lot. And yeah, I, I quit my job. Actually, I was doing some tech stuff and just went off on my own. And about a year and a half ago, I saw what the health and that, you know, that just hurt me so much. I was like, this is, this film is just so bad in every way. And it's just kind of tricking the, the people who just don't know any better. And uh, I need to do, yeah, I need to make the opposite film, right? I need to give people the, the real story. And that's when I set off on this journey and, you know, started getting you involved. But yeah, along the way, uh, so many things changed, opened my eyes to the bigger story and what was going on. And, and also, there's also some people go too far and they think it's this crazy conspiracy theory. You know, and they're like, oh, the government's out to get us, to make us weak, or, you know, this veganism is trying to like kill off the population. People get really crazy. <laughs> but well, what I found is that uh, it's just a lot of large interests at play and they're just trying to make money. And it's not a crazy conspiracy unless you think, you know, well, you can consider people just making money. Is the, <laughs> that's a conspiracy is these food companies and, you know, all these other people just they're after money and they kind of got the green light uh, with our bad science in the 1950s through the 70s to the, the guidelines in the 80s and it kind of just opened the door for this all to happen right it was, it was just sort of this bad accident like with a lot of things follow the almighty dollar and you usually find the answer at the end somewhere so it makes it makes sense and yeah it, you know brian one of the reasons i was excited to kind of have you on the show too is because you kind of went on this journey with uh with an eye of to kind of find out well what is ideal human nutrition and what is like where are the holes in some of these arguments and, you know, what can we actually glean from some of this stuff? And you've talked to a lot of the folks we have on our podcast as well as, as many others. Um, and you've more or less come to the consensus that you think meat is a, should be a staple in our diet. Uh, what were some of the like big, like aha moments along that, that process that kind of brought you to that? Yeah. So the film is kind of, we're looking at the past 50 years, like what went wrong, right? That's part of the story is how did we end up with this, this, this terrible situation with so much of America fat and sick. And part of the film, a lot of them was exploring what we should eat, right? Let's look at all the evidence. And I try to be unbiased. I know I love meat. I've instinctively knew that I should be eating meat at every meal since I was about nine years old. I just, I just thought there it wasn't a meal without meat. So I had my bias going in, but I think that's, not even a bias because that's just a foundation of human nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. So I went on this journey and looked at all sides and the film, we you know, like let's look at all the lines of evidence. Let's look at evolution. Let's look at modern science, biochemistry. Let's look at randomized controlled trials. Let's look at epidemiology. Let's look at clinical evidence uh, and, and anecdotes. And 
and modern hunter-gatherers, anything we can, and everything lines up so that the comes to a conclusion that there's a framework that we should all be eating by. And there's no holes in that framework. But when you look at the other side, you know, the vegan side, or more, the more plant-based side, there's tons of holes in their theories, right, that they have to ignore. So that they, they have this way of just putting their head in the sand and ignoring big chunks of evidence to fit their story. But when you look at it from the other perspective, there are no holes, right? And everything lines up perfectly. So that's kind of the film um, comes to the conclusion that there's a framework which we should be eating by. And there's many things that fit in that framework. There, carnivore fits in that framework. Keto fits in that framework. Even pescatarian could fit in this framework, right? If you're including fish and eggs and cheese and, you know, dairy into your diet with, you know, some other plant foods, that's fine. It's, it's really about nutrient density, right? So the, the common theme is nutrient density is the most important thing. And to me, that means bioavailable essential amino acids, fatty acids, vitamins, and minerals. Okay, so that basically means a lot of animal foods, right? Because those are the most bioavailable. Yeah, and you know, when you look at just uh, what food groups are the most nutrient dense with the bioavailability caveat there, you look at the, t the, the top 10 list and like four of them are some form of like meat or meat ba or animal based products. Yeah. So, you know, being that, that humans are omnivores, it's like to eliminate half that list based on, you know, whatever reason you choose, seems like you're going to be making a compromise in, in health for the most part. It doesn't really make sense to me. I, I put out a post on social media, why are our fallback foods being purported as the healthiest way to eat nowadays, right? It's like the, these plant-based foods is what we had to survive on when we couldn't get a hunt for all of history. These are our fallback foods. Why? Well, and now this this whole anti-meat agenda, whatever it is, vegan, big food companies, it's, they're, they're trying to make us think that these are what we should be eating. It's so confusing. Yeah, Brian, just back to your point on the conspiracy theory stuff like that. And I certainly see that all the time. We get people talking about this UN agenda, the 21, and, you know, this, this, this sort of thing about, and I have no doubt that there are probably some people out there that that is their goal. I don't think it's a global worldwide campaign. I, I think more like you do that it's, it's mostly about money. And I think that's where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've got this, uh, this is, a, this is a, the ironic thing that people fail to see is that this anti-meat crusade or whatever that, you know, we, we sort of, sort of associate with vegans, which probably they, they have a part to do with that. But the real issue is when we take meat out of the diet, it always gets replaced with processed food. Yeah because you can't get enough energy out of kale and things like that. I mean, you just, you're just not going to get, you know, even if you're eating beans and nuts, your energy needs are going to be difficult to meet in, in a way that most people can do. And so they're going to turn to the energy bar, the, the, the processed food that has, you know, seed oils and often sugar just to, just to maintain their basic energy needs. And, you know, if you look at this Eat Lancet report where, you know, their, their proposed solution for worldwide, uh, you know, dietary recommendations, uh, you know, going forward is a diet where 53% of the calories come from grains, sugar, and seed oils, which is an absolute disaster 
I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody in the diet space, I, I, well, with rare exception, that would agree that, that that food eaten in large quantities is healthy. I don't know if you've come across people that would say, yeah, eat a bunch of grain, sugar, and oils. No one's saying that. And so why yeah. are we, you know, why are we, you know, even considering this? It's crazy. Yeah. So that part, I mean, that is, there are people behind that with money interest. So that could be considered, yeah, part of the conspiracy is you know who funds it, right? I don't know if you guys talked about it on the podcast. These big brands like Unilever and companies, Monsanto and some of these Coca-Cola, like these big companies are funding this stuff. So they have their agenda. And yeah, it's very suspicious that all their their ratios or their different foods that they say are allowed on the diet just kind of basically add up to processed foods. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what, things you've learned as you've gone on this on this sort of adventure of doing a film because i guess i talked to chris bell and he says it's, he does you know it's, it's a dust it's a journey you don't know where you're going to end up and so where did you think you started and 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 now that you've got it largely finished how did it how did it evolve over over the last year or so yeah yeah i i did it, it, it evolved i started out a year and a half ago thinking that like low carb was the only way to do it right i I kind of like, oh, this is what works for me. And I, you know, understood the science behind it. So I was like, this, everyone should be doing this. This is it. And, and then I kind of really tried to do that unbiased research, like I was saying, and I realized that there was more to the story. So I kind of, I think a lot of people just start out with what works for them and they get really passionate about how they improve their health. But I kind of came around when I did you know, talk to so many people. I talked to over a hundred people by now. Just, I, I love to have conversations with people, interviews, podcasts, anything I can to get the story. I, I talk to people I don't agree with. I talked to Lane North and that, you know, I guess you had a debate with him too. And, uh, you know, I kind of tried to pick his brain and challenge him on some things. I talked to Stefan Guiana recently. I'm going to put that podcast out soon, but you know, these kind of guys that say that, oh, it doesn't matter either way. Uh, but but doing this helped me open my eyes to other sides. And even Denise Minger, if you've heard of her, she wrote a book called The Death by Food Pyramid. And she was an ex-vegan who had major health problems and kind of came around. And so she helped kind of open my eyes to, okay, well, there is other ways that can be healthy and that can work on the other side of the spectrum. Right? And it's still based around nutrient density. And it, she eats a weird diet, so she had a problem with meat uh, because she choked on a piece of meat and just kind of had these weird things where, you know, different events in her childhood made her not like meat. So, I mean, there's nothing you can say about that. I mean, it, it is what it is. So she has this different way of eating where she eats sort of fruits and vegetables and tubers. So no grains, no refined foods, no sugar, no vegetable oil. And then she eats really nutrient-dense foods like liver and oysters so so that works for her and you know maybe some fish and sardines so she's getting tons of nutrients but she's running on the high carb side and then i that kind of opened my eyes okay well there's there's two sides to this right you can go down either route you can go down the meat heavy route and fat run on fat or you could if you're you know crazy like her she i don't know anyone in america that eats that kind of diet you know eating plant-based plus liver but it works for her. So the people who are doing well are going away from the middle. 
the middle is where most of America is. There's, you know, the classic 40% carb, 40% fat, 20% protein, or even less, really. I mean, I think the average, we're at like 12% protein, which as Ted, Ted Nyman points out is the exact recipe for gaining weight in, uh, in, in rodents and I think in humans is eating only 12% protein. So as long as we don't go just down the middle, like most Americans, and you pick a side, then you can be healthy. And these people are avoiding the, the bad things and they're eating nutrient dense foods. So I wanted to kind of let people know that that option is there, but I don't think it, it works well it, practically because that's another part of the story is what, you know, a lot of these people like Lane Norton or Stephen Guinea, they're like, oh, well, you know, technically carbs and fat don't matter if you equate for protein and for calories, right? And I said, okay, I don't even care. Like, I don't really care about these metabolic word studies that much. I, you know what I mean? I know enough about the science to understand that, that, you know, protein is what we should be focused on. It has a higher thermic effect. You know, you, it has a higher satiety factor. That's, and then aside, if you're getting enough protein, all right, if, if you want to get your fuel source from carbs, then, then do it. You know, Stephen Guinea grows his own potatoes. He told me why he does it. He said, yeah, I did low carb for a while and it was great. I wasn't hungry. I, you know, I felt great. I wasn't hungry. And I'm like, so why do you eat this balanced diet? Said, well, I grow my own food. You know, I grow potatoes and vegetables. I'm like, all right, good, good answer. So uh, I just don't think it's, it's practical for most people to eat this perfect diet that Denise Binger and, and Stephen Guinea will eat. So in, in the real world, people need to be full. People need to eat what they like to eat. And if they're, they're not, they're going to go off the, the rails, right? And it's not going to work for them. So yeah, basically, to wrap it up, it's, there's, I understand why different sides can work. So if, you know, these vegans are saying, are more plant-based people like, oh, you're, you know, you guys are crazy. You guys are wrong because look at all these people who did well on a plant-based diet um, or, or, you know, mostly plant-based. You know, I don't think anyone can do well without some animal food, but I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. I know why this works. You're not stumping me. You're not, you're not discrediting anything I, I'm doing. I'm, I know why both sides work. I just think that being fat adapted and choosing the more nutrient dense animal foods is a much better way to go for many reasons. So I wanted to present both sides of this story in a film, but show which I think works better. And yeah. Hey, Brian, where do you think, uh, you know, having talked to a lot of people from different sides, where do you think the vegans or the plant-based movement gets things right? You know, we always talk about, what their shortcomings are and, and you know arguably there are many of them uh, and i think they, they they put out a lot of misinformation in my view but what do you think they what things do you think they get right when they when they mm. talk about stuff yeah not much not much <laughs> but they they do reject modern norms that's kind of one of my things i talk about on but like i said both sides people who go down the carnivore route or the plant-based route uh, either end of the spectrum they're rejecting a lot of these modern norms of eating a balanced diet or uh you know they're they're not eating sugar refined grains vegetable oils they're not they're exercising they're getting outdoors or you know getting good sleep there's so many things to health right so once you get down this path a lot of these people who are focused on health even if it's a more plant-based health they get into they do so many other 
good habits, right? So I think they're, they're not eating at fast food. They're not just, um, you know, eating processed food. So yeah, they're making so many good health decisions. It's just my, my thing is just, just add in a little bit of liver or oysters or something in your diet and you're, you're fine. Yeah, you know, where I, th- where I think I see a lot of times the vegan message uh, align a bit with kind of what we're doing over here is just like this idea that you can use food as medicine and that should be your first approach, like rather than turning to some sort of, you know, pill or prescription or something like that to put a Band-Aid over something. Uh, well, let's see if we can fix it through lifestyle first. So like the vegan lifestyle message, I think, can be something that is, 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 worth, uh, is worth taking a look at, especially when you think of like how many, how many people are neglecting that and going straight to the, the pharmaceutical side of things right off the gate. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just want to, yeah, tell people, okay, I get why. So many people say they, they, did, they got so much health improvement from going vegan. And, you know, there's a classic, yeah, that's for the first three months. Uh, you know, wait until later or the five year mark when your, you know, B12 stores are depleted or stuff like that. So I think I want to show in the film, like it's called food lies, right? And I think one of the lies is that a vegan diet is healthy or healthier than a a regular diet. So it's kind of, you got to tease out why that happens. And it's because yes, you made so many other healthy choices. So just in the long term, I just don't believe that that's, the healthiest way to go. Yeah. And we, we had, uh, um, we had, uh, Belinda Fetke on and she was talking a bit about that too, how like, you know, when you look at like the seventh day Adventists and stuff, it's like, it's, it's, there's a lot of things they're doing that would promote longevity outside of just their nutrition. So to kind of take that one pillar and focus primarily or only on that is, is missing the boat from a holistic side of things. Well, and I love to, to use that, a counterpoint to that is the Mormons. Mm-hmm. So there's, so the Seventh-day Adventists love to show this Loma Linda study where they're like, oh, look at our population in Loma Linda. They're living so long. They're so healthy. Okay, well, the Mormons are another population that does, makes a lot of healthy decisions and focuses on family and you know, exercise and clean eating, but they don't have that meat restriction. So they eat meat. There's, no, there's nothing against eating meat. And guess what? They live longer than the Seventh-day Adventists. So right there, your, your, your kind of whole thing falls apart. It's not the fact that you're avoiding meat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I was going to ask too, like when you were going kind of through your, your process of interviewing people and taking a look at the whole like food industry, when you, when you did talk to like vegans and vegetarians, uh, did you talk to kind of a combination of folks who were still following a vegan diet and then folks who were, and eventually stepped away due to health? And if so, like, what were some of the primary reasons people decided, okay, I can't handle this, the vegan lifestyle, I need to bring some animal products back into things? Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get too many of those people in the film, exactly. I, I thought it'd be a little bit confusing or trying to, you know, look at too many anecdotal stories. And, you know, trying to like, show bad cases of veganism. But I did talk, uh, Denise Minger did tell her story of, you know, her teeth were falling out. It's all the classic stuff that uh, Sean posts about that I love. You know, these vegans, that they, they, they come back around after their health deteriorates. And it's, it's so many problems there, the diet, um, digestion issues, 
uh, skin issues, their teeth falling out, feeling horrible depression. I've seen these stories so many times. It's not just, you know, like a few cases that, you know, kind of bubble up to the top and make it out onto social media. Like, oh, this ex-vegan goes back to meat and it's this big YouTube story. It seems pretty universal based on just all the conversations I've had, just even offline, right? Not recorded or, you know, talking to Leah or Keith about her story. And, you know, she, I've talked to yeah, many people who've done veganism right. They do it well, like Lear Keith and, and Denise Finger, they were in, they were deep in the game. They were doing research. They were trying, you know, they were doing it as best you could and it, it just didn't work. So I even talked to a guy, people hit me up on social media and I talked to them. There's a D1 wrestler who was fruitarian. And so this guy's like in the prime of his youth, you know, he's like 20 years old, like wrestling. And he just saw his muscle waste away and he just had, he had no energy. And he, he just hit me up like right when he was questioning this. And he's like, hey, man, like, how do you feel on, on the way you eat? I'm like, I feel I'm amazing. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to add meat back in. And I, I've been talking to him a little bit. And yeah, he, he said he's gained some, a lot of muscle back just in a, a month of eating meat again. So yeah, maybe the, I haven't heard any stories of, of the opposite of people like really thriving for life on a, on a vegan diet. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Unamate by a brand named Unicity. This sponsor is unique. It has a personal story behind it. In 2015, I started using the tea Yerba Mate. I liked it for its calm sense of alertness that it provided versus kind of the more jittery alertness that you could get from uh, more traditional caffeine sources. I even used it in 2015 at the end of the year in route to breaking the 100-mile American record at the Desert Solstice Track Invitational. The only hiccup that I have had with using Yerba Mate in training and racing has kind of been a logistical hiccup. I usually had to either kind of pre-make the Yerba Mate as like a hot tea or buy it in a can, which a lot of times the cans you would find had been sweetened with sugar and other things. Uh, so I was always kind of on the lookout of trying to maybe make that process a little more efficient. So after interviewing Dr. Ben Bickman for episode 13 of HPO, he had discovered that I was a fan of Yerba Mate in training and races. And, uh, he's actually been studying some of the effects of Yerba Mate and connected me with a product called Unamate, which makes kind of an instant single serving package of the tea. With with these single serving packs, I, I can easily kind of prepare on the fly, even during a race or during a training run, without having to go through all the kind of logistic steps of preparing the tea ahead of time or bringing a can full of something along with me. And I actually even used it at the Tunnel Hill 100 mile this last fall where I ran the, the fastest recorded 100 mile or on a trail as well as the fastest 100 mile or outright during the year for 2018. Um, so needless to say, I'm behind the product. If you'd like to try it out, please head over to unicity.com forward slash HPO. That's U-N-I-C-I-T-Y dot com forward slash HPO to get $3 off a 7-pack or $10 off a 30-pack of Unamate. Thanks again. Now back to the show.
you, Brian, when, one of the things I thought was kind of cool that, you know, as you're making the film, I, I think you took a trip to, I think it was, maybe it was in Japan, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, just to kind of look at the culture there. And, and it was, you know, I mean, our sort of everyone's impression about the diet that is eaten in, you know, parts of Asia, particularly people that live long, is a diet that is, you know, rice and vegetables and a little bit of seafood. And, and you found out that maybe that's not exactly represented what really goes on can you talk a little bit about that yeah yeah I, I hate all these like blue zone stuff and you know they this is where people live the longest and then when you investigate farther you realize that they're eating tons of meat and either the author of that book the blue zone just kind of ignored that or you know they're looking at different little parts of the population even the ansel keys stuff that you know he where he went to uh like crete or something and they you know he would study them when they were in their fasting period and basically he didn't get a good picture of what they're actually eating so if anyone's been to japan lately it's it seems to be meat is at the center of everything <laughs> everywhere you look is pictures of wagyu all all i saw was fatty steak and it's just fatty tuna it's called otoro like that, that they have the right idea it's based it's, it's the fattier the better and I, yeah, I talked to people, I interviewed a, a bunch of random people and I wasn't, you know, trying to cherry pick, oh, I'm only going to, you know, interview like 30 people and get the five that agree with me. I, I made this video that I put out on YouTube on the Food Lies YouTube. And that, that, that was basically the, the story that everyone, the same story. They're like, yeah, I love me. What do you mean? Like we, yeah, maybe like in a fishing village would they eat mostly fish, but meat is, highly prized and you know they wish they could afford it more and then they they eat it when they can and they had no conception of being bad like these people were dumbfounded when i said oh in america people think eating meat is bad they're like what they, it was just they're just confused so, and i think a lot of other countries um would be like that if you're not part of this this anti-meat agenda that's been pushed for so long in america and in just the mainstream media People are just very confused when you would say anything but meat is amazing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying it's interesting to note that uh, uh, Japan is the number one importer of pork in the world. I mean, they of all the pork that's produced in the world, Japan's imports more than anyone else. So that's kind of uh, also kind of telling us to what their diet preferences might be. You know, and additionally, their, their, their meat consumption over the last decade has really dramatically risen. And guess what? Their life expectancy also has gone up. And so I think those, those sort of are, are kind of inconvenient uh, relationships. Now, it doesn't prove anything. And, you know, I, 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 I talk about this stuff, but I mean, what it does tend to do is make you question the opposite, where you say eating mm -hmm. meat's got to shorten your life. Well, you know, here's a population that's eating more meat and they're living longer. And you can certainly go, you know, just not too far away and look at Hong Kong, where they're, they're at the extreme, where they eat more meat than anywhere on the entire planet. And they, their life expectancy is longer than anyone on the planet. So these things are relationships that don't actually prove that meat makes you live longer, but it certainly can, can go a long way to dispelling the fact that it will shorten your life. Absolutely. And the, 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 I'm bringing this stuff up in the film. Part of this, uh, there's so many things I want to touch on in the film, but I want to get the mainstream population to know this stuff. Like we're here talking about it. We understand it. Your listeners understand it, but there's 300 million more people in America that don't understand this. And if you, lay it out to them 
then may yeah even in just the 90 minutes right it's like how much can we fit in of this these great little facts i mean for the past year and a half i've filled hundreds of pages of notes on these little things like oh hong kong is the highest you know meat consumption they live the longest like if we just throw all this stuff at someone in the film then i think it will go a long way to just at least changing your thoughts like letting people do more research and the, yeah that that's what i'm trying to do is give give people even the people who already know all this stuff will give them a piece of ammo right if you if you have a film like this and i know other people are making them too as well like i, I support benny tortorich and chris bell and and whoever else is making these films it's, it's awesome and if we give people this ammo to show their friends and family right even if they're like hey you're, I know you're not going to go look up all the studies that I've looked up. You're not going to go listen to all the podcasts I have and read all the books, but just watch this one 90 minute uh, presentation of facts. And this should change your mind. Brian, one of the difficult things to do is to kind of distill down somewhat complicated and nuanced topics like, like the environment and stuff like that and put it into a, a you know, a, a 10 second soundbite or a visual that people can take away. And that's one of the sort of things that I think the, the, the folks that, you know, promote this plant-based or vegan thing, they, they've, they've been very effective at that. You know, they have these powerful images of some poor animal being, you know, mistreated, which none of us support, by the way. Uh, you know, we understand that they have to be killed for us to eat them. And, and, and it's done, you know, in general, in the, in the most humane way possible. But you know, they, they have these very powerful visual images. And so that's very difficult to, uh, you know, counter that stuff. But, but I think the, the, the way the, the you know, the, the average person's psyche works is, you know, those little images, those little short things really are effective. And that's why I think film can do that. Are you finding that difficult, challenging to do? Or do you have some strategies to sort of really say, this is, this is just a, you know, this is just a in-your-face, think it's going to shock you and, and maybe make, make you change some minds. Mm. Yeah, that's a hard one. I think they say it, it takes 10 times the effort, you know, to undo the one image, you know, bad image or what, you know, some of these propaganda side points and we have to work 10 times as hard to get the message out there because no one's on our side. There's no big, I mean, there's, there's maybe, you know, one commercial for beef, like beef is what for dinner. You know, there's one little, you know, Beef uh, Cattlemen's Association trying to put out one commercial compared to millions of news outlets and stories and articles doing the opposite. So it's really hard, really hard. We were talking at the meetup yesterday about, yeah, what can we do, how we can join forces. You know, we need to get our voice out there. And concerning the film, I don't have a good answer to that. I, I can't you know undo that image in people's minds there's there's no opposite to that image of an animal being tortured unfortunately so the the main thing i can do is talk about how that's not the case in 99 percent of of raising animals right you, that's probably not even america right i think they find those images and videos from other countries where they're you know have their laws are not great or they have um just sort of these bad actors right there's always these bad actors in any kind of industry so the vegans will love to find the one bad situation that takes place and then they make it seem like this is what happens everywhere and in the film 
and in my life, I've visited a lot of farms, right? We're filming. So I guess the answer would be to show them what I've seen. Like I went to Joel Salatin's regenerative farm where he's using animals to improve the soil, improve the environment. That, that whole side of things will be shown as well because that's kind of the conclusion at the end of the movie it's like okay now we know we should be eating meat well what what should we do about it i thought you know i thought it was bad for the environment okay so we have to show the other side and um i'm going to different farms like uh, this other woman tara up in canada who does farms you know homestead farming and these people care for their animals so much it's their livelihood why would they not care for them why would they mistreat their one commodity their one you know source of income and no and it's against human nature to do that too i, I don't believe this happens because what rancher or farmer just wants to torture animals like who who what normal person would do that right it's 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 not really a realistic thing that this happens that much so i yeah i want to just show even factory farms or they're not even so confined feeding operations. I know you had Frank Mitloner on talking about those, right? And I want to show people that like these animals are doing fine and they're, they have a vet on premise, you know, they're on site giving them the exact nutrition they need and making sure they're warm and making sure they're, they're not sick. Like there's not a huge problem with our confined feeding operations in America. It's actually really efficient. Yeah, that's a that's a very controversial thing to say, and there's a lot of pushback, and I get that all the time. And you know, you know, like I said, and, and I also understand that there's difference in the different species of animals. I mean, chickens are probably, in my view, not raised ideally. I think if you compare that to a cattle operation, you know, even in a in a, in a CAFO, and that's that's just a, a definition based on size. I mean, even if you have a small feedlot, and most of the feedlots in America are smaller. I mean, people don't understand that. You know, they have under a thousand head of cattle or something like that, or a few hundred head of cattle. And the room that those animals have, you know, even if they go to the big ones where there's a hundred thousand cattle in, in a position, they all are required to have a certain amount of room. And it's well, well beyond what they ever even use. I mean, it's something like every cattle has something like 200 square feet, you know, that they have to have, you know, that that's, mm -hmm. that's by law and they don't ever use that. They, they end up, you see them cluster together because they like to be close to each other. They're herd animals. Yeah. That is a natural instinct for them to avoid predation. Now there are some problems with, you know, sometimes there can be too much mud depending on the weather. And there's, there's things you can do around that. And some are better than others, but I mean, you know, the whole, the problem we have is like everybody lumps everything into one category. Oh, it's a factory farm thing. I'm not going to eat that. It's awful. It's terrible for me, you know? And, and you know, you got to say, no, there's nuance to this. You've got to understand you know, what goes on with that? I don't know. Did you get up to Harris Ranch and, and, and see those guys up there and on up in California? No. Yeah, they're, they're we, I, yeah, I know it's just up to five here. I think, yeah. I think I should, I, we're still filming a little bit of stuff. Yeah. We're filming sort of the more human interest stories, like a health transformation story with a woman in LA. So well, and we are editing and trying to finish this up in the next couple months. But yeah, I think that, I think that could fit in the picture is going to that giant ranch and seeing, how they do things. Well, I mean, it's, you know, like I said, I, I, I drive by there all the time and I look, you know, and I've seen it, you know, there's people say, well, you can smell manure. I'm like, well, you got a hundred thousand animals. Of course, you know, you're going to smell something, but I mean, it's, you know, when you look, the animals are not packed in, they're walking around, they got plenty of room, but uh, it's all through the, the eye of the beholder, but it'd be, it'd, I think it'd be very helpful to, to expose more people to understand that. And, and, you know, and to realize that 
we can always can do things better. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, the industry uh, has done over the years. I mean, they've, they've dramatically improved, you know, their land uses. They dramatically cut down their water uses. They dramatically improved the, the methane emissions. You know, they've, you know, they've done that so far and they're continuing to do that and they can continue to do more. And the idea of just, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater is, is kind of what, what I'm seeing here. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, we're, I'm not saying that the way we're doing things is perfect, too. Exactly. I'm saying that it can be done much better. And in an ideal world, when, like you said, most operations are pretty small. I forget the statistics, but there's something in 90 something percent are sort of family operations. And if we kind of improve those a little more and, you know, there's some regenerative ways to do things and let's use the animals and the plants together. It's a harmonious cycle. I mean, nature isn't stupid like this you know, this is how nature works and the, the animals add back to the soil while the the plants only take away. So I feel like we can improve this and do even better. And then it's kind of the other countries are the ones that are really doing bad, right? So America is actually doing pretty well in our efficiency and our practices. So it's really that uh, third world countries that are causing most of the problems and then you know vegans will cherry pick those statistics and you know kind of overblow those yeah and that's kind of highlighted you guys both kind of highlighted where my mind has gone the last year or so when kind of thinking about this stuff is just like when you look at the data where we have like these cattle ranches and 80 percent of the u.s herd is on pasture at any given time so then that leaves, you know, 20% that are going to be in these feedlots at the end of their life. So even if we would come to the conclusion that there's issues with these feedlots, I don't, I don't think we're running into a whole lot of issues with people complaining about the, the cattle out on pasture. You drive by any of that, you, they look pretty darn happy to me out there. I don't know if there's any good compelling arguments against having them just being out there outside of the, um, the belching argument, I guess, which we can get into if we want. But, um, yeah, so then that would mean like we, we have this potential issue with 20%. Uh, and then, so for me, it's like if that, even if that were the worst case scenario on that 20%, the answer isn't to just flip the whole thing over and start from scratch. The answer is let's find where these problems are and try to focus our attention and energy on those problems as opposed to sitting here and, and arguing about whether animals belong and, you know, you know, as part of the environment here or part of our agricultural system or not, we're, we're, we're wasting our time doing that. I think. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that's just like marketing ploys or sort of just, you know, they're just trying to distract us from the issues and, you know, they're just, it's just propaganda really. I think still, you know, using old statistics and show thinking that animals are as bad as the transportation sector all this stuff is just using tactics to try to just make people not eat animals mm -hmm. yeah and that's the thing the thing we've dove into quite a bit on this on this podcast in the past too is it's like even when you look at the worst statistics from an environmental standpoint when it comes to cattle and animal agriculture it's that transportation arm is the <laughs> that's the big 800 pound gorilla in the room so again we're we're kind of focusing on the wrong side of the side of the situation when we're going to ignore transportation and just try to say, well, let's just do away with it all. Um, Cause I mean, transportation is everywhere. Transportation is part of basically every economic 
first world like endeavor. So to me, it's like, that's the thing we need to really be putting attention into if we're going to really target human influenced environmental issues is like, what, where are we going with transportation going forward? Absolutely. Just, yeah. Just stop distracting from the bigger <laughs> issues or, or yeah, just the, the last point here is termites and wetlands, you know, produce more methane than, than cows. So it's just, why don't we focus on that? I mean, no one's trying to say, Hey, let's get rid of all the wetlands or termites. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the issues is that, you know, they, the belief is that, you know, we don't need to eat animals. And, and so why do we do that? You know, because they're, 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 they're an option. And, you know, I think you and I and many of us would agree that it's not really optional. I think that's what, you know, if we look at how humans have always been and, and arguably why we're humans is because of we, we were able to obtain this high quality uh, nutrition from animals. And, and clearly it's, it's farther it's much higher quality than, than any other food out there, particularly with regards to, you know, protein and, uh, you know, essential fats and, and, and just absorbability, digestibility, and, you know, the bioavailability of it. And so, um, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I've got solar panels going on my house. Does that mean I can eat meat the rest of my life because I did that? I mean, where, where do you draw the line? How do you, how do you parse out what your environmental footprint is or your impact is, you know, and, and you know, here we're doing a, we're doing a, uh, we're working remotely. We're not, we're not flying in a jet to, to meet each other. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, who are you to decide what, you know, what is, what my responsibility is to the environment. And, you know, if I want to eat in a way that makes me the healthiest. And, and we have to remember that, you know, the U S healthcare system, you know, produces something like 10% of our greenhouse gases. And so I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not getting sick and people that eat like me aren't either. And so we're saving money. Uh, not only money, you know, in healthcare dollars, but we're also protecting the environment in that regard. So how do we, you know, how do we, you know, arrange and stack, rack and stack all these different things that go together uh, to say, you know, what is our impact in the world? And, uh, you know, I think that, that you know, they, that we try to narrow down on one topic and say that produces greenhouse gas, therefore it's bad, therefore we should get rid of it. And we're like, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of other considerations there and, and hopefully uh, people will start to, you know, like I said, it's tough to, to, to make this in a, in a 30 second commercial or a 10 second soundbite mm -hmm. for people to understand this stuff. But hopefully, you know, with, with more people listening to podcasts and, and everybody getting out there and sharing these messages that we can have, have a difference. You know, I, I certainly appreciate your efforts as a filmmaker. Hopefully, you know, like I said, you know, I don't know how many people will see it. Hopefully many, many, many people will see it and be impacted and we can at least, you know, what was it? Uh, Senator, uh, was it George McGovern back in, was it 77, you know, and he said, I don't have time for the science, you know, I got to mm -hmm. make a decision. Hence, we end up with the food pyramid and arguably that's been a disaster. There's people that, that disagree with that, but I mean, I think many of us would say that has not done us any favors. And so I think we're, we're equally at a similar time when we're, we're talking about, you know, we've got a little bit of data and, and, and we don't have a lot of data and we're making these decisions kind of blindly. And I think the unintended consequences are potentially going to be, uh, you know, really, I think it's more of the same. I think we're doubling down on the, on the policy we went, we went on in the seventies. I think we're going to double down on that. We're going to see certainly no improvement in our health. I don't, I don't know if we've peaked as far as illness with regard, with, with, regard, with regard to chronic disease. I mean, it seems like, you know, we've got 88% of the people in the United States that are metabolically unhealthy. We've got 
you know, I don't know what the latest obesity numbers are. They, they're always going up. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, I think some like 40% of the population is obese and, you know, it just, it's just, do we get, are we happy when we have, you know, when we're, we're Wally, you know, the Wally cartoon people all floating around mm-hmm. in our old chairs drinking our processed slop. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's someone on the McGovern committee said, what's the worst that could happen? I don't know if it was him or someone. They're like, they thought that was bad. Like, let's just recommend low fat. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we're at the peak of how bad it can get. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's what I said earlier. I think to combat this or one thing we could do is to let people know that the plant-based diet is not the healthy option. That is to me, one of the biggest food lies. It's, it's meat is bad. The demonization of meat has been the biggest problem I think we've ever had. Right. It all started with that. And I know you had Belinda and Gary, Fekian, and a lot of people talking about that whole history of it. But I mean, that is the biggest problem. I think that that, that was like the starting point of it all. Right. If you look at it under that context, then that's kind of why we started thinking that meat was bad or saturated fat was bad. And why the hippie movement, people saying, oh, the only way to feed the planet is, is without animals. It, it just set us down this whole path. And everything has just gathered and gathered and put us where we are today. So I think the the way to undo that is to let people know that the plant-based diet is not the healthier option and that meat is good for the environment. It can be good for the environment. And so I think we need our own label, like for people who reject these modern norms and eat in a healthy way, but so the vegan, they, you know, vegan, it's like they're a tribe, right? And then they have a lot of say in the media or in the, and they think they're healthy because a lot of them make a lot of healthy choices. So they are kind of healthy. But if we had, say, the carnivore people, the paleo people, the keto people, all these kind of people, if we could get, get together under one name or just get a group and, you know, study us or, and show that we're not getting sick. I haven't been sick in four and a half years since I started doing this stuff. You know what I mean? If we could show if there was some way we could identify ourselves and be studied in some way, even, you know, use epidemiology, which is not a great thing, but it can show correlation to say, yeah. hey, well, all these people are healthy. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're looking at something like, you know, they have this whole food plant based diet and it's always compared to the standard American crap diet. Right. Well, you could have a whole food meat based diet. You know, which which would which would largely cover many of those people you're talking about. Say you've got these people that eat a eat, you know, at least a significant percentage of their diet comes from meat and they don't eat the processed sugars and the grains and the seed oils, and guess what? They're just as healthy and probably more healthy than these uh these plant-based folks. And so I think, you know, whole food, meat-based diet is I think would cover that term and uh you know, maybe well, use that out there more. We need to yeah, we need to get it. I'm trying to call it like a sapien diet or just I, you know, something I'm trying to do the sapien movement. I just threw up a website, sapienmovement.com. I wanted to get you involved, anyone involved in this thing and just like, Hey, let's stop industrial farming practice, you know, stop doing monocropping, eat more, you know, nutrient dense animal foods. And yeah, see if we can get, get a name to, uh, for our group. And yeah, I want to see how long we can live. Right. No one, no one knows. It's all theoretical. Right. That but I, I believe and you believe that that if we're eating this way, we're going to outlive these vegans. But I just don't know how we can can get that studied and get that official instead of just anecdote. 
I think two points. I mean, I mean, you know, like I said, we could we could go back to the people in Hong Kong who eat the most meat. They live the longest. You know, you could say they're on a whole whole food meat based diet, and and there's some issue. But I but I also think it's a little bit um, uh, problematic to to say the that the the goal line is who has the most days on Earth. You know, who lives to 102 and who lives to 97. I mean, I, I think equally as important, we got to look at quality of life. And I and I think particularly, you know, as someone in you know probably probably the second half of my life. I'm, I'm hoping it's my, it's my, my second third, but you know, we'll see. But, you know, I think it's um, important to, to also look at, you know, what's going on functionally, you know, how are you doing at 70? How are you doing at 80? You know, are you, are you just decaying and, and falling down and breaking your hip? And uh, you know, the, and, and, and have you become a, you know, kind of a person that's dependent upon everyone else and you can't, you know, you can't be independent. And I think those things are every bit and in many people's view and mine included more important than exactly how many days you live. Because I think that's, that's, that's really in my view, this, this long-term, how long I'm going to live. It's almost a religion because you don't know. I mean, we're really never going to know. I mean, you're never going to know what you could have done that, that gave you five extra days on the, on the planet. There's no way to run that study. I mean, you're going to live your life. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to hopefully be, you know, you can certainly do things that you can say, look, when I'm in pain and everything hurts, that's not a good quality of life. And you, and, and if you can do something that changes that, that's easy to test. But to say I'm doing something that's going to help me live longer, it's largely, you know, it's largely just a, it's, it's always just going to be a guess. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the term, yeah, health span, that's what's important. I shouldn't even said how long you live. Health span is the important thing. And, and I think one of your guests recently was talking about I, I, our ancestors, they were strong and robust until the day they died, almost, right? They, they, they didn't, <laughs> they weren't in wheelchairs. They weren't, yeah, I don't care if I live to 90 if I'm, you know, in a bed with tubes. So, yeah, I think that's huge. And, yeah, it's, it's about maintaining your muscle mass and, and how you feel your quote a long time ago, you told me a, a great indicator of future health is your present health, right? That's all we know. All we know is how you feel now. And, and if you're feeling great, that's a great sign. And I know a lot of people, yeah, I go, so since everyone knows that I'm making this film, you know, everyone has their own opinion and everyone's trying to talk to me. I go back home to Hawaii and everyone's got their own little ideas. And, you know, I talk to say an aunt or an older friend, and they're, you know, they're like, I, oh, you know, I know vegetarian's the way to go. I've done vegetarian my whole life. And I take a look at them and they're not looking good. <laughs> they have a belly. They're, you know, they, they're kind of like hobbling around. Like, I know they're not healthy. They're getting sick a lot. So it, it's just so hard to tell these people, uh, you know, because everyone just believes in their own way of doing things. It's so hard to sort of think that everything you were doing was wrong. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it it makes a lot of sense. I think the more you think about it in terms of kind of just you know getting in tune with how you're feeling and being honest with yourself, it's like for me, it's like the things I look at is like where's my energy levels at throughout the course of the day? Are they consistent? You know, am I sleeping well at night? Am I like sleeping consistently through the night? Do, am I in a good mood? That sort of thing. Those are all indicators to me that my body is running optimally versus you know something is something negative is pinging on the out or on the inside. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes about people's ability to kind of connect those dots. Uh, cause it's, I wouldn't say it's a short journey, but you know, I, I feel like 
sometimes I have a bit of a unique situation in that, you know, I ask quite a bit of my body. And if, I, if you just look at the training I've done over the last 10 years, I've ran approximately 50,000 miles. So it's like about 5,000 miles a year. So like I notice when things aren't running well because I'm asking so much of my body to be able to, to be able to continue to do that. So like for me, that's a much bigger picture is kind of like, how am I feeling? How's my body responding versus like, you know, what does this piece of paper tell me I should or shouldn't be doing? Yeah. You got, we got to look at people. People need to realize that. So a lot of my, I'll, I'll tell my story really quick about how I've been, you know, in shape and athlete my whole life and thought I was doing fine. Right. People, a lot of people think they're doing fine. Like you said, you know, you're the extreme case and you notice more because you're asking so much, but the average person thinks they're fine. And I thought I was fine. And then I got into this sort of, you know, low carb. I didn't know that much about it, you know, four years ago, whatever, four and a half years ago. And I was doing that and yeah, I was in shape, but I didn't know what was around the corner. I didn't know that there was a next level out there. And I think so many people walk around not knowing what real health is. And I, I think you guys have talked about it a lot over your podcast probably, but it's, it's so true because I was eating relatively low carb and, and then I, I just dropped those last bit of kind of processed food, you know, some bread or like a tortilla that I'd eat like once a day and, and major things happen. I had overuse injuries my whole life from the computer, from my engineering days. And within a couple of months, all the, that inflammation and sort of, you know, uh, carpal tunnel type stuff went away and I could use the computer again and I could work out again. I lost all this fat that I didn't even know I had. I was always skinny, but I guess I was a little bit skinny fat, right? And you, you, like I dropped like three sizes in my board shorts, you know, like I, my board shorts wouldn't even fit anymore because all this fat around my organs, I think, went away, right? So, and I felt amazing, so much more energy. All this stuff changed. And that's why a lot of people come into this health space because they, they were, had major problems and then they do something and they, they, they get, go low carb and they feel better. And, and I appreciate that, but I think that it's, it's even more compelling that someone who thought that they were in great shape could go to the next level, right? So that's, I want to kind of get that message across to people too. Because so many people in America are just doing okay and they don't realize what they could be feeling like. I mean, that's, that's, that's very true. And I think, unfortunately, uh, you know, the norm has become to be sick. You know, that's the expectation. And I think a lot of people, myself included, you know, I thought I was pretty healthy. And, and you know, until you, until you realize how much healthier you can feel, you know, it was just like, wow, I really wasn't healthy as I thought I was. And then, and then you'd start to walk every day and it's like, wow, the world is now, you're, you know, instead of black and white, things are in color again. And, and it's just, uh, you know, it's unfortunately the problem with much of the food we eat and, you know, there's other things that affect health, but I mean, you know, in regard to food is that it, it's kind of slowly poisoning us, poisoning us. So, so we don't really notice, you know, it's kind of like a slow decline and, and you know, it's so subtle and it may take, you know, a decade or more or, or even longer for some people. But once you get off that stuff, it, it rapidly shows you, you know, that that wasn't, you know, that wasn't certainly wasn't optimal or, you know, certainly isn't normal. Yeah. And I want to tell one more story. Um, going back a little bit to like the, the people who just say, oh, balanced diet or, you know, carbon fat don't matter. And, you know, Lane Norton type of 
mentality. Is that I, I do some health coaching. I'm partnered with a doctor. We're trying to do some stuff like Verta, you know, Verta Health doing their uh, technology to reverse type 2 diabetes. So I'm building that with my kind of tech background and partner with a doctor here. And I do a lot of health coaching and see a lot of these patients, right? So I'm in the clinic a couple times a week talking to real people. So this is, I think this is, I'm, I'm kind of starting doing it for free for, you know, I've been doing it for free for like six months, but I've learned so much more. I think people need to get this side of the story that it's not just about the metabolic ward and the, in a textbook saying that technically you can eat fat or cause and it doesn't matter. Like I'm seeing this firsthand and I know you had Dr. Trill on who I did a podcast with recently too, where he sees the people, he was obese. He sees the people who are very obese and needs to make a change. And you can't just tell them, Oh yeah, carbs and fat don't matter. Oh, just eat less. That whole thing is so bogus. The eat less, move more thing. I, I made my own called eat densely, move intensely, right? If you're eating nutrient dense foods, then you're going to be full. You're, you're, you're going to end up eating less naturally. There's so many benefits. And if you're moving intensely, you know, don't just do endless cardio. Like that's probably not going to help you unless you love it. I mean, if you're like Zach and you love to run, do it. I'm not saying don't do it, but I, I just don't think it's a great way to lose weight. Uh, so do intense, you know, brief, intense exercise, do, do lift weights, you know, do some sprinting, stuff like that. And so, yeah, basically the, this, this whole thing where people are trying to use studies, when in the real world, those studies don't matter to someone that I've worked with, it's, you know, 150 pounds overweight. I don't care about any study. I know that if they start eating some, you know, like low carb, like power bar, you know, those type of like fake food stuff, that's going to set them off on a path. I mean, they're going to eat ice cream for a week, or if they eat, you know, you can't just tell them to eat like one, you know, just limit your, your carbs, you know, just have like one piece of bread. It doesn't work, right? And so actually the, so the carnivore thing, I, I embrace carnivore. I, I myself eat a carnivore adjacent. I, I like to eat mostly animal foods and I'll have some like kimchi or sauerkraut and avocado, stuff like that. But it, carnivore really works for these people when they say for the first time in my life, I was free of food addiction. I talked to a woman, Laura, I think you reposted her photo. She was hundreds of pounds of her weight. And she, now she's like skinny, like a fitness model. Um, she, she, I, talk, I did a little 10 minute podcast with her. And she said, I, it was a, a, such a liberating experience. For the first time in my life, I was, when I went carnivore, she's like, I did low carb, I did keto. And you know, I, I, I'd eat a little bit of this, types of foods and it would send me off of this path right and I'd, I'd go off the rails and gain all the weight back but once I went carnivore I was finally free of this food addiction and I finally was full and I finally didn't even want to cheat it was such a cool story and this I've heard this from other people too is that I I didn't want to cheat they're like okay me and my husband we're going to cheat on our anniversary and the anniversary came and they didn't cheat and they're like okay Thanksgiving we're gonna you know we're gonna have a big meal we'll have carbs again whatever didn't work. It didn't happen. Christmas. They didn't do it. They just didn't, they just lost that interest in all those foods. So I, I think that's really awesome. Um, it's a great tool. You know, maybe you don't have to always be carnivore. Like you say, not everyone has to do it all the time, but I'm just trying to make a point that there's stuff in the real world. That's a lot different than the textbooks and kicking like your carb addiction, sugar addiction. Uh, even for me, I make this chocolate out of 
coconut oil and pure cacao. It's like very clean, you know, kind of keto chocolate. And I haven't even eaten it. It's been in my fridge for four months because I just, I just lost the taste for it. It's, it's, it's very interesting how this works. Yeah. And I think just to go back to what we were talking about before too, when, when we were talking about uh, Ted Naiman and it's like, he, he, he simplifies this stuff so much that I think it's, it's cool to look at. Cause when you really do focus on like nutrient density, um, what you end up finding is that like most things that are hyper palatable with that combination of carbs and fats are also very low nutrient density. So it's like, it's this perfect storm to put your body in a position to want more, even though it's had enough from an energy standpoint. And you just don't see a lot of people that are like, well, carbs or fats, you know, they're both about the same, eat whatever ratios you want. And you're going to end up in the same spot. If you account for protein calories, it's like, you don't see those people mixing the nutrient dense, like filling carbs with the nutrient dense filling fats. Like it's always like the the refined sugars and the seed oils that get mixed together. And that's going to just make it a, a miserable process. At least it would for me. Um, maybe some people can pull it off, but I think there's enough people that just wouldn't or can't that, you know, it's worth to have other options out there. Yeah. And, and Ted Naiman, I've talked to so many people. I love his messaging the most. I think out of anyone I've talked to, he's kind of the most on point, the simple, great message, good experience. And then to nutrient density, that's, that's what I'm hanging my hat on. That's what I talk about a lot in my podcast and um, just in general. And the movie we'll cover is if you focus on nutrient density, nothing else really matters. And you're sort of by default going to be eating high fat, low carb, because the nutrient dense foods are the animal foods, plus some green vegetables and some, you know, nuts and seeds and herbs right? Like that stuff is the most nutrient dense stuff. So I don't know how anyone can argue with that. And I don't see, I don't see how anyone could make a case for why I should be eating carbs because even the whole food carbs aren't nutrient dense, right? They come with few vitamins and minerals and a lot of excess energy. Yeah. So yeah, what Ted Nyman talks about is a protein to energy ratio, stuff like that. Like there's not a case you can make I put out a call on social media, like, tell me one person, one doctor, dietitian, tell me why I should be eating carbs, whole food carbs, right? Like, I'm tired of defending my way of eating. You tell me why I should eat a potato, right? Because I don't think there's a problem with a potato. And I know that many populations exist that, you know, rely on potatoes and they're reasonably healthy. But I don't understand why there's an argument why I should be eating them. Right. I'm not, I'm, I choose to be fat adapted most of the time and I choose to eat nutrient dense foods and, and most carbohydrates don't fit into that framework. Yeah. Yeah. My, my other follow up question too would be like, uh, where, where do the, the fermented, I know you mentioned you eat kimchi. Um, where does that fall into the kind of role for you? Is there a, did you learn something about fermented vegetables that had you thinking this could be hmm. possibly a, an advantage for us? Yeah, well, I'm really interested in the work of Weston A. Price, who I don't know if you guys talked about on the podcast a lot, but he's a dentist in the early 1900s that traveled around the world and find all what the all the healthiest populations ate and what they didn't eat. And what they all ate was the animal foods, and they highly prized them and they ate them around pregnancy specifically. For six months, even before they became pregnant, they would be eating all the nutrient dense animal foods and seafood and fish eggs and liver and 
all this stuff because they instinctively knew how healthy they were. And none of them ate refined grains, sugars, and vegetable oils. So uh, once I started getting into him, read the book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which was kind of a slog, 500-page book, but very enlightening. And yeah, so all these cultures, for all of history, they found ways to make food more nutrient-dense. Also, Dr. Dr. Bill Schindler, who you guys should have on the show, is an anthropologist and professor and just really savvy on the human evolution and food. And uh, he, yeah, he, basically we figured out how to make foods more nutrient dense. I mean, cooking is, uh, or uh, processing, you know, meats made it more accessible to us and, you know, helped us yeah, become human. Uh, with vegetables, we would ferment them that would take away some of the anti-nutrients, right? You know, you have Dr. Georgia E talking about all these anti-nutrients in plants. And to get rid of those or mitigate them, you would um, soak, ferment, uh, and do other things like that to decrease anti-nutrients and increase the bioavailability of the good nutrients. And so then with grains too, uh, Price, Dr. Price discovered that all these cultures knew to soak beans overnight or to, to sprout grains or, you know, soak the grains so that they weren't so harmful. But the problem is today, most people are eating the grains that haven't been properly soaked and fermented, right? No one really knows that that's the way you're supposed to properly do them. And then maybe they won't cause so many problems. So yeah, the, basically a Weston A. Price diet is, is tons of animal fat, all the grass fed butter, raw dairy, not, uh, all the animal foods, fermented vegetables, bone broth, and then they allow for sprouted grains. So properly soaked and fermented legumes and grains. So, okay. So my conclusion after, you know, four and a half years and um, maybe a year and a half of my very intense research, you know, all day, every day is uh, my kind of conclusion is that that type of way of eating minus the grains and legumes is optimal, right? So if you choose to be fat adapted. I think there's many benefits of being fat adapted. And uh, so those grains and legumes, even though maybe they are okay, once you soak and ferment them, uh, I just don't think that that's as beneficial or as optimum as just sticking to the animal foods plus the fermented vegetables. So it's kind of also uh, a bit of hedging my bets with this whole gut microbiome argument and you know, everyone has their own opinion. I don't think we know enough about it to make any conclusions of, uh, you know, do we need to be feeding our gut bacteria or not? Or that's a whole different story that I'm not educated on enough to talk about. But I just know that I'm going to include some of these fermented foods and, you know, they have some probiotics. And it's kind of just like, hey, uh, I'll hedge my bets a little bit and uh, make it, you know, have a little sort of tasty side with my meat. And uh, it's been working well for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that strategy, quite honestly, even though, I, you know, like I said, I'm, I've been a carnivore diet advocate, but I, I'm certainly, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, do what, what ultimately works for you well. Um, you know, the concept that, you know, m much of the uh, vegetation that, that humans have managed to eat over the years has always had to be processed in a way to make it less toxic. You know, there's very few yeah, I would say fruit might be the exception to that. But there, 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 there's, there, there's few plant foods out there that don't require some sort of detoxification process to where we can eat them. And most of the, you know, as we know, most of the plants on the, on the planet are just completely inedible. They'll, they're, they're very toxic and will make us sick. Um, you know, so I think that that is, a, is an important concept. Um, 
what other question was I going to come up with, Brian? I can't remember. Brian, I'll tell you what. Let me ask you, uh, where can people go to help you finish this film or if they want to support your film? Because I think that's important. That's an important thing for people that are listening that might want to make this come to fruition. Because I know you're not completely finished and I know it's not a, you're, you're, you're doing this on a, you know, more or less a shoestring budget. And, yeah. uh, and so, I mean, we're, we're, let people know where they can find you, uh, how to support the film and, and other stuff that you might want to let people know about. Yeah, thank you for that. It's foodlife.org and you'll find the link for Indiegogo there. So the Indiegogo is still open. I'm actually about to open another Indiegogo because this whole post-production process is, is, is taking a lot more money than I thought. And yeah, I mean, I'm spending all my own money on this, my own time, I quit my job. I'm really just kind of, it's probably a really stupid idea. Luckily, I, you know, I don't have kids. I'm just kind of young and reckless and uh, trying to make this happen on my own. But uh, yeah, the community has been great so far. We've gotten a lot of good support from the audience and we kind of still need that support to finish it up and make this film good. So yeah, Indiegogo, but uh, you just go through foodlives.org and yeah, you can, we have, we have these shirts. I have this shirt on right now. If anyone's watching the video version, it's, it, it's what else you eat, not the meat. And it says eat meat in big letters. And, you know, I, I think all the problems we have, it's, it's from what you're eating the meat with, right? It's not the meat. It's not the thing we've been eating for all of history, right? It's, it's everything else. So you can get that shirt and, uh, yeah, some other stuff. We got some posters, whatever. Wise words indeed. We'll, we'll link um, to the foodlies.org website in the show notes as well so the listeners can easily click over to it and uh, um, hopefully support and get, get that, uh, that documentary up and going because it's going to be a good one to watch, I think. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for having me on and talking about this and spreading the message. Yeah, Brian, just one other question for my, because there's people ask me all the time, what kind of platform will it be released on? And do you know uh, oh, yeah. how that's going to go out for people that want to watch it eventually? Yeah, I noticed, I try to comment on your posts when people ask. Uh, it, we're, we're trying to finish it up by the end of spring. So, and it's, we're looking at Netflix. So I'd really love to get on Netflix because that's where the most people are. Uh, it's definitely going to go up somewhere. Yeah, so people who pre-order the film will definitely get it and they'll get it early. And it will make it on somewhere, you know, Amazon Prime, Hulu. Uh, I'd rather have it on Netflix. Just, I just hear they rip you off, though. I don't know if you've heard any stories, but uh, apparently Netflix, uh, they try to undercut you and they think they're really cool because they're the popular kid in the room. But, uh, yeah, it, it'll, it'll get out there soon. Well, good for you, Brian. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, it's good running into you last night. Hopefully we'll... You know, let me know if there's anything else I can do to support the film. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm very excited about trying to get this message out there. So, Yeah, thanks a lot. And, yeah, maybe I'll post – we made another video. We made a couple of videos for you. We went to Muscle Beach, and we pulled through In-N-Out. That video on YouTube of you pulling through In-N-Out got a lot of hate. <laughs> a lot of vegans <laughs> found that video. And everyone has their own problem with it. And I, I kind of told – people are like, oh, yeah, like this guy's just – going through fast food that's not a good carnivore diet and i was trying to tell people this is just something we you know this is when you're on the road like it's a good option um you know this is not what he eats 24 7 but uh yeah yeah I'll, I'll try to put that video out again and see if we get some more vegans some more vegan hate 
Well, they spread the word for the documentary. That's better, I guess. So I mean, yeah, I'm getting a lot of views on that YouTube video, so it's helping. I say thank you. Sometimes I just thank vegans. You know, people even on Twitter, it's like you're you're getting my Twitter post a lot more reach, right? The algorithms are are make boosting my tweet because you're commenting so much on it. Thank you, thank you for this. And they they get really pissed off. <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again, Brian, for coming on the show. I look forward to getting this one up to our listeners. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.